So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. So welcome to today's episode. And today's episode is a little bit different, I guess, to some of the normal ones because we're going to get into... um, the nub and the core and the depth of part of the understanding behind quality of mind, um, which normally actually we only do during our programs, but we've hinted at this in other podcasts. So I thought it would be uh, fair to come and give people a, um, a go to listen to see if they can make some sense of what we're talking about. And to help me do this, I, I've asked... Uh, uh, my delivery partner in quality of mind, Rena Luizio, to come along and uh, help help me have this conversation because this is a conversation that normally we would have during the program, which really unlocks all the wonderfulness of quality of mind. So, uh, Rena, welcome and thank you for coming along to have this conversation. Hi, Piers. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. So, just to put the caveat in again, if someone's brand new to quality of mind, and this is the first thing they've uh, listened to, we might suggest that you go and listen to some of the other podcasts first or understand what the role and relevance of quality of mind is you know, for individuals and businesses. Because what we're going to get into is what's the nub of the understanding of the mind that we talk to that allows us to... Um, or allows people to unlock all this wonderful uh, well-being, resourcefulness, performance in such a transformative and exponential way. Um, Now, if you're still listening and and you're still with us, we would suggest that you listen to this um, with very much an explorer mindset um, rather than trying to research it, evaluate it, or get in it, get it to fit with what you know already. I mean, we're going to do that to some extent anyway, because that's just what meaning-making human beings do. But just just go with it with an open mind, uh, a curiosity, uh, and hopefully something will um, resonate. Um, Rena, is there anything else we need to say before we sort of get into it? Anything else you put as a sort of uh, <laughs> a precursor to this? Yeah, just, just what you said, really. So um, listening with an open mind and, and actually exploring in your own experience, you know, where you might see this to be true and, and where it resonates and, and that sort of thing. So I guess our listeners get a chance to experience this and explore it within their own minds and, and within their own lives and work and everything. Yeah, and I think if, if you were to leave this... What probably be about half an hour with a kind of, oh, well, that's interesting. I'm going to go and carry on being curious about that. That would be a great place to be. So we, we would, that's what we would invite you to do. So what we're all about with Quality of Mind is helping people recognize that the human potential is far greater than we, we, we kind of see on a day-to-day basis and that there's an innate level of resourcefulness, potential, um, confidence, innovation, resilience, clarity, fresh thinking, possibility, connection, inspiration available than we often operate with. And we have different apertures to that. So sometimes we're in a low quality of mind and kind of things hard and difficult and sometimes life feels in flow. And everyone's like, oh, that sounds brilliant. And you could, you could say, well, there's lots of ways I can get that stuff. I, I can do my NLP, my yoga, my can, I can understand my mind and my personality more. And there's lots of ways that we can get that. What we offer at Quality of Mind is something different. We're saying there's a way to exponentially shift your level of access to that. And it comes down to seeing something fresh about how the mind operates, the, the, the operational system that, that we are in this universe and as human beings. And that's what we get into on our programs. Now, at the very nub of 
that fresh understanding that we're pointing people to see, uh, realize rather than just know, realize, embody, so that they can access all that wonderfulness is something we call the fact that our experience and reality in any moment is real but not true. So what we're saying is that the way the human system is set up is that we is actually the case that our experience in any moment, what we what we have coming through our senses, looks and feels real, but isn't true. And in any moment the system recognizes that our aperture is open and we have all that wonderful resourcefulness. But it isn't always seeing that. So in order to get into this, we need to sort of answer two questions, I guess. One is, what do we mean when we say real and true? Because they're just words. And usually the question people have after that is, great, how do I have some more? How do I see things as um, real and not true more often? So first question, what do we mean when we say those words, real but not true? So... Um, Rana, do you want to just give your version of how you would describe what we distinguish between real and true, and then we can talk about it a little bit more? Yeah, and I think kind of the, the best way to, that I find to um, initially describe it is to use um, an example of um, when, when we dream, because um, that's an easy one, I think, for a lot of people to see. Um, so most of us can recognize that actually, you know, when we're asleep and we're in, when we're having dreams, that the experience of the dream is fully immersive. It feels, it feels real. We'll have, you know, we'll, we'll not only visually see things and, and have a visual perception of the dream, but we'll also have certain emotions and feelings that come up in the dream. You know, we'll hear things, we'll, you know, we'll have conversations with people. Um, and, and actually the, the detail of what we can experience in, in, in a dream state is in, sometimes can feel even more real than in our waking state. Mm. Um, you know, so perhaps someone that we haven't seen for a very long time and we're able to have a conversation with them in a dream and, and remember real detail with such clarity of what their, you know, what their voice sounds like or what their face looks like. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's, that's, that's an example of having a very real looking and feeling mm. experience. However, when we wake up, we recognize that even though the experience was looking and feeling incredibly real, it wasn't actually true, not objectively yeah. true. And we might even have a heart rate going or sweating or something if it wasn't a nice dream. So even the body, you know, if you wire us up to an ECG or a heart rate monitor, it's actually happening to us, the dream, right? But no one would say, well, not many people would say, oh, it's true. So it's quite easy to see. And also just to make the point, we don't have to tell ourselves, oh, hang on, that dream. Is that real and true? The system just recognizes and pop that, that those feelings, those images just disappear off and, and a new reality emerges in our mind. So that's a pretty easy one, right? Okay, so hopefully most people are going, yeah, I can see what you mean. That's real but not true. Now, let's take it a little bit um, further along and say, what about the fact that there is a beautiful tree at the end of the park? Is that real and true or real and not true? So, well, it's interesting. So you, you've used the word, to, you know, the two words, beautiful and tree. So, mm. um, so I think for many people, they, they might kind of look at that and say, well, actually the beautiful part of it is, is real but not true. As in, because, actually, I think it's a pretty ugly tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's, you know, because I, I suppose the other thing around this is to sort of think about, well, what do we mean by true? Yeah. Um, and, and in my mind, you know, for something to be true, it needs to be unchanging. It needs to be constant. Right. There's not that variability there. So let's spend a moment defining what we actually mean by that word true. Because it might be that by the word true, we're referring to something that we might call personal truths. 
Um, for example, you have a belief that if someone uh, commits crime, they're a bad person or that a certain person is a certain way and that's how they are um, or that you're not good at, say, volleyball or you can't draw or cook or something. And they would be our personal truths. that They're like opinions we have about ourselves we've had for a while and they become like beliefs. Now, we're not talking about personal truths. Also, we're not talking about things that may look observably accurate to us, i.e. how the world works. Uh, an example of that might be, well, if I don't get enough sleep, then I'm not very good at my job and I get grumpy. Or if I don't take care of my hygiene, then I'll get sick. Um, or if I'm upset and stressed, then you know, I'll going for a walk helps or time on your own. I mean, these are things that would look like the how they help. They're observably accurate, but they're not what the kind of true that we're talking about, right? Because they don't always, always happen. So you could not have had sleep for a long time and still feel great, right? So we're saying this kind of truth is not a personal truth and it's not just stuff that looks observably accurate. We're going one step before that. Um, and we're saying true in terms of, is it objectively true? So when we say the phrase real but not true, what we're, we're saying there is there is nothing objectively true in the world of time, space and matter. Now, if there is an objective truth to this universe we're in, it's, it's, it's something before or something that sources time, space, and matter. It's not within time, space, and matter. Because can you find anything that is objectively true in the content of your experience? That's really what we're pointing to. All right, Piers. So let me just play devil's advocate here. Are you telling me that if um, I'm sitting here in my room and a tiger walks in, that that's not real and true? Yeah, I am. <laughs> now, luckily, you'd probably notice it was real, right? So what I mean by that is, because the way you've been conditioned to think about tigers, you would notice it. There's a thing called a tiger and you probably wouldn't go and put your hand near it. You make sure it didn't get hungry and you might even run out of the room or, 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 or call someone up, right? Because you, you've learned what tigers are and a tiger would definitely get your attention because of how you've been conditioned. So it would definitely be real and you would take it seriously as something in, in your content of awareness to be aware of. So it'd be real. Okay, but what about the true bit? Well, okay, let's think about it this way. Is it possible there could be someone in the room who wouldn't notice something walk in the door, even a tiger? Uh, yeah, I yeah, guess so, yeah. So, so maybe a, a baby was in the room who was occupied playing toys or someone who's just so comfortable with tigers, it's not a rare thing to see a tiger. They may not notice, right? Now, you could still say, oh yeah, but it's there they're not noticing it. Yeah, that's, that's what the common sort of response to that would be. Oh, it is there. They're just, it goes into the wallpaper for them, right? Like a fly in the room. Well, I don't know it's a fly. It's too small and flies are everywhere, so I don't notice them. Now, here's the bit for people to get curious about is, can, do we actually know that it's there outside of awareness? Can you actually know that something is outside of awareness. And because at one level, you can't because it's, it's only going to come to us through awareness and we have no idea what is going on outside of awareness, right? And the fact that it comes and goes in awareness itself, right? Sometimes we can lose our car keys, right? Even though they're right there in front of us or optical illusions. So we... We can't, we can definitely say it's real, but we cannot say it's true. And that's because of the, because of everything that's changing within that space of awareness. Because it's almost like, you know, if for something to be true, it needs to be constant, it needs to be unchanging, it needs to be eternal. Um, but actually, if 
as, as you're saying, if, if we, and I, this is an invitation for our listeners to explore this in their own minds, if you actually look at that space of awareness within each of us, the content of that is always changing. It's always coming and going. So which bit of it is, is actually true? Okay, then. So now we define a little bit more about what we mean by true. Let's get back to the tree. I say, well, yeah, the, the, tree, the tree is real and it's also true. Look, it's, yes. it's physical. It's, you know, it's there. I can touch it. I can see it. I can smell it maybe. And, and not only that, so can most other people too, you know? So most people will look at that tree and agree that it is a tree and it has a brown trunk and it has branches and green leaves and, and all that sort of thing. Yes. Okay. Now, what we're going to say to that is, get curious on this one, because what we're going to point to is that actually the tree itself is not true at one level so but you might go yeah but when I look at it it's there and when I turn away it's still there and if I leave the garden surely it's still there well we kind of don't know that well someone else could see it yeah but they don't know that what happens when they're not there well how about if I turn my head away and I reach my hand out I could touch the tree so even if I don't see it, I would kind of know it's there. Or uh, something, you know, I, I could bang into it if I, if I wasn't looking. So surely it's there. Well, we're saying, no, not necessarily. We don't know that. Now, if you're a little bit confused by this, start to think about other times when things have, <laughs> this might sound a little odd, have appeared and disappeared within your reality. So what about when you can't find your car keys in the morning? Or you can't see the typo in the document? Or optical illusions? Rana, you were talking about a good optical illusion earlier. Can you just share that one? Yeah, so this one was sort of um, hit the internet a, a two or three years ago. And um, so it was, a, it was a picture of a blue and gold or I think it was, a, sorry, a gold or blue dress. Mm. Um, so there were sort of two versions of it. And, um, and the thing was that it, it kind of, you would show it to, you know, a group of people and, and some people would say, well, no, it's a blue dress. And some people would say, no, it's a gold dress. And they would be absolutely adamant that, you know, that they were right. Um, and of course, you know, who, who was right? Because in their reality, that's what they were experiencing. And, you know, they were absolutely sure about that. And yet you would then show them another picture where there was a slight change in, in the pixels in the, um, mm. and the color in the picture, and they would see it completely differently. So, so actually the question is, well, who's right and, and which one is right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's the same with optical illusions, isn't it? So with an optical illusion, we can you know, it looks like a load of dots and then it becomes a, a square or some, all those magic eye pictures. And, and what you start to see there is that actually what we're experiencing is a kind of, uh, well, there's a scientist called Anil Seth who would say it's, it's an hallucination, right? So it's, it, it isn't, it's just what our system is making sense of it and it's doing it the best it can and that will look real to us, but it's not true. Right? It's not true. You, you can't say objectively, that's what it is. Now, just because 99% of humans would say there's a tree doesn't actually mean it's true. Now, before you go, well, why are you so fascinated on getting down to this, this real nuanced pedanticness of whether it is or isn't? Now, remember, the only reason we're doing this is because what happens is that the conceptual mind, the aperture to all that lovely resourcefulness, well-being potential is more closed when, when it, we believe the world is real and true. So we're not trying to prove a scientific or a, or a philosophical point here. We're just saying you try, you see what happens when the, the aperture is more open and doesn't get so insistent about what's out there and 
you know, et cetera, like that. So, so that's just, just to remind people why we're saying this. Um, now, let's go a little bit further then, because we're saying for something, anything that isn't continuous isn't, is real but not true. So let's go a little bit further. This might get a little bit weirder before it gets easier. Um, what about um, the body, you know, my legs and my hands and my, my head? What about that? No, I think that's a really interesting one, actually, because I think, you know, most of us would sort of say, well, you know, I have a sense of the body and I have a sense of it being a solid thing and, you know, something that is, is you know, looks and feels completely solid and real. Um, and on one level, you know, if you, if you actually look at that at a, at a material level, it's always changing. So. So what's real and true about that? Well, yeah, and I'll, and I'll take it to a slightly different way of, of, of noticing that. So let's say um, back pain that a lot of people would get, you know, and then, or, you know, and the doctor would say, or someone would say, where is the pain? And they would, you, we, we, we've been sort of taught to point to a bit of our body because as a little kid, when you fell over and you said, oh, or, or not when you fell over, and you said, oh, my tummy hurts. Or, but they wouldn't even say that actually. When you're very young, you don't know. And then you are asked to locate the pain. Is it your tummy? Is it your this, your that, your that, your whatever, right? So we get very conditioned that this pain sits in this thing we call a body. But it, if we actually look at it, it does vary a lot. Right, even back pain can move from there to there, to, from the left side to the right side. Or it's a sharp, is it a sharp pain or a jabbing pain? Now, what we're not saying is, oh, you're not feeling pain. You're not feeling pain. It's not real. Yes, you are experiencing what we would call, we've been told to call pain. And we've been told to try and localize that to this thing we call the body. But that's just what we've been told to believe and condition ourselves that it's the body causing the pain. It could just be that pain is in awareness in that moment for whatever reason. And we've been told to, and then we attribute that to the a bit, of, a bit of the body. But, yeah, I think that's a really good point, Piers. And actually it reminds me of, you know, my children when they were very young, often they would say, all they would say is it hurts. Mm. And actually before they could speak, they, it would just be, you know, they might cry or moan a little mm. bit. Um, and, and not locate it because of course, you know, at that stage, it's, it just hurts because there are just sensations that are appearing within, you know, uh, awareness that do not feel pleasant. And, um, and it's only as we start to conceptualize the body and the parts of the body and, and give meaning and names to them that we then start to localize the pain and describe it in a particular way. Yes. Now, another, another way of looking at it, right? As you've been listening to this podcast, you might have been sitting down on the chair. Did you notice that your, your legs sitting on the chair? You might maybe wearing clothes. Who knows? Did you notice the clothes on your body, right? So even in the last 10, 15 minutes, did you always know the body? Did you always have an awareness of the body? And probably not. We often don't notice the body, right? And then we go, oh, I've got a body, right? So Again, just like the tree, just like our opinions of the tree, it comes and goes. So again, we can't really say with definiteness, with certainty, that it is a continuous thing, the body. Okay, one more. What about me, the self, the renner or the peers? Is that real and true? So I guess our listeners are going to kind of recognise a theme coming out here. Um, you know, my, my answer would be no. You know, that's not continuous. Um, although there is, there is there's, there's kind of a second part to that, which I'll come back to. But I think, you know, if we think about it, am I the same person that I was when I was six months old, a year old, five, 10, 15 no, you know, although I can kind of, I suppose, look, look at myself and say, well, you know, maybe there are some aspects of my personality, for example, that seem to kind of be the same, you know, so um, I don't like this or I do like that, you know, I'm a bit like this or a bit like that. But actually, if you start to explore that in, in more depth, what you start to see is that 
even though I hold these ideas and, and sort of thoughts about what I'm like as a person, as, as a self, there will be so many times where, you know, that's, that's not the case, you know? So an example for me is I, you know, I kind of grew up thinking, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm an introvert and I don't, you know, I don't really like this or I don't like that. And I'd much rather be in my own company. And yet there'll be times where I found myself just really being, feeling lovely and being with people and just really enjoying being an extrovert, you know, and I, and I say that kind of in, in, in inverted commas, um, and sort of go, oh, well, that doesn't fit with, you know, with my view of what I thought I was. So, so is that me that's just changed? Mm. And do you think you're the same person that you were yesterday? Well, th- this is interesting because there are, what is it to be a person? Mm. And, and if I really look at that deeply, there are, what I experience is just a range of different thoughts, different feelings, emotions, different things that I sense and perceive all coming and going. Now, some of them seem familiar and seem similar to what I've experienced in the past, but really, no, it's all different. Mm. However, there's one thing that I do think is interesting because as I say all of that, I do also have a sense of something that is the same. Mm. And, and, and I don't know if our listeners can maybe relate to this um, or, or have, you know, heard people or have even said it themselves or heard people say it themselves. You know, as we start to perhaps get older, we sort of go, what, how old am I? No, I, I don't feel any different. You know, there's a part mm. of me that doesn't feel any different to when I was 18, mm. you know, or 21 or whatever. Um, and they genuinely mean that. And so, well, what is that? Mm. And, and so, so for me, there, there is a part of me or, or, you know, there is a sense of something that actually hasn't changed, that is constant and never does change. Um, and it's not to do with age. It's not to do with my experiences. It's not to do with my body. Um, it's something that goes, I think, a lot deeper, which, you know, what, what we would sort of suggest people to what we would point to is perhaps closer to what our true essence actually is. Right. So, so let this, because what you just said is very um, profound at one level. And so let me just say a little bit on that because I think it's, it's such a wonderful point and just overlooked. So what we're saying is that me, I, Rena Piers, is not firstly what I think, right? So, so my opinions of me are not me. We said that. So the, the beautiful tree, well, that's not really me. It's not, you know, it's, I'm not my body, right? I, I'm not what I think. Um, yet there is something that, we, that kind of echoes or we would say is continuous that sits behind me, right? So looking at little tiny babies is a good way of doing this because they don't have a sense of identity yet. They don't have a name. They don't know what, they don't have anything like that. They just, they just are, I guess. Yet there's, there's something in, in what that is that is eternal throughout our lives. It's, it's not, it's not the me, the personality, the sense of identity. It's something deeper than that. Some people would call it their spirit. Some people might call it their soul. Um, and in exploring our unchanging bit, our true essence, we can look to the space before thought or the space in between thoughts to get a sense of it. So what is that space? So it seems to be that when we dissolve back into that space before thought, there's an experience of what we might describe as expansiveness of peace, freedom, love, which psychologically leads to things like realization, inspiration, fresh perspective, resilience, balance, agility, all the things that we want in our life and work. Now, 
that is ever changing. The, the form of that, the way that comes up for us is ever changing. I mean, you can feel differently this morning at 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. And it might be in the last 10, 20 minutes, you haven't even had a me thought. You haven't even had a thought saying there's a runner. And sometimes we're full of our thoughts going, what am I going to do now? We're very self-conscious. That's even the phrase we'd use, right? So what we're, what we're pointing to is that as our aperture expands and contracts, when we're in a very contracted aperture, it looks like there is a me experiencing this thing we call an outside world that has thoughts about this thing we call an outside world. Now, in moments when we're in a really expanded aperture, we have no sense of me. We're just in total flow. People might even call it, this sounds a little trite, but oneness, total love, harmony, all togetherness, right? Uh, you know, just, just, there isn't, there's no separate me going on. And that contraction and expansion varies. So again, the reason we're bringing this up is that a lot of our conditioning has pointed us to say that, that what there is, is an outside world. So there's a tree out there that it has its own independent reality. There's a me, uh, uh, whoever it is, having an experience of that tree, separate me. And that me can have an opinion whether it's a beautiful tree or not a beautiful tree. Now, what we're saying is, just press pause on that. And maybe it's not like that. Maybe the only thing that is constant is something uh, pre-even pre what I think I am or even my opinions on things or what the world is. And, and, and that's something that, that doesn't disappear. But everything else comes and goes. Yet what we've done as a society is got very focused on the stuff that comes and goes rather than the bit that stays. So, so Rona, help me out here in case I'm going to, uh, to woo-woo here for people uh, or, or whatever. So what are, you, what are you hearing in what I'm saying there that might be useful to add to? So to make this more practical um, for people listening, Piers, um, it's, it's sort of seeing that our conditioning has pointed us to, um, to, to see things as, as true, to see that there is an objective truth. And in thinking that, we then try to manage our, day, our day-to-day lives um, and our experiences and the outside world of people, situations, circumstances to try and kind of manage and control that to bring it back to some kind of truth that we think exists but is actually is just an illusion because there is no truth um and so so what does that mean so if we can truly realize that there is no objective truth to our reality and there isn't a particular well, well therefore there isn't a particular way that life needs to be or that you know that, that things need to happen um, then it, it opens up a whole load of freedom from whatever we're experiencing and from things having to be a particular way. Mm. And it depowers circumstances, situations, the environment, our past, our futures. And I don't mean they're not relevant because of course they're relevant because that's, that's where we operate, right? But it, it means they're not, defining and limiting us in the way that we sometimes think they are. So, it, you know, a little example would be that if we're in a workplace and we go, well, the market's really tough at the moment and you can see that because all the indicators are down, right? Then we think, well, okay, well, how do we manage that marketplace in the way we do? Now, what we're not saying is put your head in the sand and just go, oh, well, I'm just going to ignore all those indicators. We'll just do what we want to do. We're saying, see that be open to see what occurs to you about opportunity and uh, fresh thinking and and being agile and, and innovative in that rather than go, well, that's how it is. Therefore, we've got to manage it. And I think it just gives people more, less, um, more flexibility to see that. And, and we're not saying because you could just do that as a kind of positive thinking technique. Couldn't you go, ah, oh, well, but, but actually when we see it, see it, it's so much more, there's so much more ease and obviousness in it, I think. Um, because 
things will change and you'll just see it differently and then you'll get this idea that will occur, occur an insight or a realisation. So let, let, let's just come back to what we were saying right at the beginning, right? Which is there are some things we can see that are real and not true and some things we can't, right? So just to summarise, what we're saying is 100% of what comes into our reality is whether we can see it or not, uh, real but not true. That includes the outside world. That includes our opinions about the world. That includes our body. That includes us. Yeah. Now, what we're pointing people to see is to just to see that a bit more, or be be open to see that a bit more. Now, th- that does not mean tell yourself it in an intellectual kind of psychological tool. Going, ah, I heard in this podcast, I need to start thinking things are real but not true. But actually, just see how that's happening anyway. And how things dissolve. Have you got any little examples of that, of where you've spotted something and it's just, you've just seen that it wasn't how it was and you didn't have to do anything, it just did it by itself? Well, I, I think going back to the beginning, going back to the beginning, beginning um, an obvious one is a dream. Mm. Because, you know, the, when we see that, if, if we didn't see that it was, that a dream isn't real, is real but not true, then the rest of our day would be spent as though we were in the dream. So yeah. talking to people in the way that we would be, you know, based on what happened in the dream. You know, if I'd had a dream of a big scary monster, I'd probably wouldn't get out of bed for the rest of the day because I think it's going to come and get me. You know, so 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 I think that's probably a, an an easy and obvious one um, to 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 kind of for people perhaps to relate to, and and then one maybe that's not so, you know, that perhaps might not be so easy to spot, but I can just use it as an example. Um, you know, when, when I was kind of in the work, working in the world of um, business consulting and, you know, th- th- there was a particular um, leader of, of a business who probably about 95% of people working mm. within that organization genuinely were adamant that he was a a tyrant, you know, a particular mm. way. And, and to them, that was real and true. Mm. But that wasn't everyone. Um, and there were people in the organization that, that actually had quite connected relationships with him and, you know, who worked really well with him. And so, you know, and it was very interesting for me to see and experience that because, you know, f- for me, I kind of, you know, my experience was quite variable. So someone, sometimes it would look real and true and sometimes it wouldn't. Mm. Um, but I do remember a, a time when it, I, I realised that it wasn't true, you know. And, and so what then happened was that a whole load of stories um, were just released. So they just dissolved. And I found that I was much more present and able to, you know, do whatever I needed to do and, and, you know, connect and be more present to whatever was going on in, in those interactions with, you know, with this leader. Mm. So, um, so that's just kind of a, you know, a, a sort of personal example. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what we find in this work is that people's personal truths just start dissolving. Yeah. So, so more and more of them, things that they had seen as, well, that's just how it is, isn't it? They start going, oh no. And then, and then it, the more they see, the more they see. And actually that, that does happen collectively as a, as, a, as, a, as a society in the world. So more than that long ago, people thought the, the, the planet was flat, um, that, you know, that they had different views about germs. And, you know, and then now people go, well, of course that's not true. Well, back then they did. So, so we have no idea what people are going to think in 10, 20, 100 years time collectively, right? So, and, and science now, and actually, you know, we'll put some things in the show notes because there is people on the cutting edge of science who would be pointing very much to what we're pointing to here. Um, conventional science isn't yet, but there are scientists, Anil Seth and Don Hoffman and other people like that who we can put the resources in. But y- so Piers, can we remind people why this is important? Yeah, so as we mentioned at the beginning, it, it, you know, the, the human being, the human potential is vast, wonderful, huge, awesome. And we have all these amazing attributes that we know we can, we can when we're in flow, we have an abundance, you know, the resilience, the clarity, connection, love, inspiration, new perspective, all that amazingness. 
And the way it looks like is that when we're in a contracted aperture, we don't get a lot of that. And we're in a wide aperture, we get a load of that. Now, the relevance of real but not true is that when the, the system notices in any moment that we're in a reality that is real but not true, it's a wider aperture. So we get more of that flow, more of those wonderful attributes coming through. So, so, so the reason we, we use it in our work uh, around quality of mind, because we're not just, you know, it's not, we're not doing a philosophical or a scientific kind of teaching here. We're, this is going to have some practical impact for people, is that it seems to us to be the most important factor for, 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 for us to know in terms of increasing our resourcefulness, performance and well-being. How do we get more of that? Yeah, well, this is the one everyone wants because he's like, oh, yeah, it sounds great because I get all that more wonderfulness when I see, when the system sees that it's real but not true. How do I have more? Now, there's good news and bad news on this. Uh, Good news, nothing you have to do. Brilliant. There's no techniques, there's no tools, there's no pills to take, there's no app to download. There's nothing you have to do. Bad news, there's nothing you can do. And we love a do. You know, we've been conditioned to, to like to control our experience, to do things. Now, what, the reason we're saying there's nothing you can do is because the, the system is doing this anyway. The aperture is contracting and expanding, just like with the dream. We don't have to do anything to see it's real but not true. Now, the reason we see it easy in a dream or a movie um, is because the, our conditioning is not really in the way. Our conceptual mind has no problem with it being real but not true. Yeah. Our, another example would be when our children play games and they imagine they're something and they tell us all these things, we don't get too worried that they're having a psychotic delusion break from reality. We're just like, oh, they're just make-believe games, but they're really in it. But we're, we're okay. We know kids come back out of that, right? Our conditioning's not in the way. Our conceptual mind's not in the way. So to answer your question, how do we get more? The best way to look at it is, well, what's sort of in the way of us seeing it more, right? And what's in the way is all our conceptual minds, narratives and stories about how what is going on for us is actually happening to us, to a peers or to a renner, right? And all that because of how it looks and how we get reinforced by modern science, not, not pioneering science, but modern science, that that's what's going on. And society reinforces that. We're not being told like we are when we tell a, um, a child who's having a dream, hey, don't worry, it's just a dream. We're not getting told our reality <laughs> is real and not true. So that's all in our way. So what, we're, what we do in our coachings and our trainings and our workshops is we help people to see this. And when they see this in a, in a way that seems to uh, people's apertures open a little bit, some of their conditioning conceptual mind dissolves and they see it more often. So are you saying that I should just tell myself more of the time that it's real but not true? Like almost like a mantra that I need to repeat to myself just to convince myself? Well, no, because I mean... I know why people like to do that because it's like an application. Oh, I heard this thing on this podcast. I should tell myself. Well, well, try that out with someone, right? Let's take someone who's really um, immersed in their reality and you say, hey, by the way, that's real but not true. Does that work? No, right? So if people, if people can't see it, telling yourself, using your conceptual mind to tell your conceptual mind something doesn't work right? So that's why this is a more foundational approach than just a a positive thinking piece of conceptual um, idea. What we can do though, the more we see this, is it recalibrates the system to see it more by itself. Because what we're pointing to, again, remember, is we're saying in alignment, more in alignment with how it actually works. So the system's pointing this way anyway. We're just sort of in the way, innocently, invisibly using our conceptual minds to insist it doesn't work like this. So it's almost like we're pulling an elastic band and as soon as we let go, it just pops back. That's what happens when people start to realize this. Now, the more you try and tell yourself to see it, 
paradoxically what happens, or not paradoxically, it actually makes a lot of logical sense, is you're adding conceptual mind thought in and that stops you seeing it. So that, that, does that make a little bit of sense, what, um, what we just said there? Yeah, I think it does make sense. And, um, you know, it's quite nuanced and it's, I guess, in my own experience of kind of looking in this direction and doing the work that we obviously now do is, is seeing that this is something for, for people to really look at and explore in their own experience and to have some realizations about um, rather than, you know, try and, and learn it in a conceptual mind way. And, and that's right. And I think that's a big shift for people because we're very used to learning something and applying it. Um, and it also sounds, until this is, until people have had an experience of this, it does sound a bit weird. But once people have, they're like, oh yeah, right? And, and that's what we find on our, our programs quite a lot is to start with, people are quite confused, but then we, we sort of guide them through the thing and then it kind of makes sense. But until you, until you see that, it can sound a bit confusing. And what, but what's also beautiful to know, I think, is how intelligently or beautifully that turns up or, or, and sometimes in weird ways where people aren't making sense of this, then it just pops for them. Like there's an intelligence helping us see this. So it's, it's like we've got our, the wind in our sails. And when, when, we, when we look in this direction, um, it seems to get easier and easier to see it, even if it sounds very complicated now. And I, and I think in, in many levels, this is in fact so simple to see that it's almost hidden in plain sight. Yes, uh, and, and that's a very good word describing it, hidden in plain sight. And bear in mind that our, let's call it our ego self, our separate self, our personal self, um, our conceptual mind self, uh, sometimes doesn't like seeing it because it's prided itself on, on all the other things that, it, that we've built up in our conditioning. And there's a surrendering of those that kind of happen through this. So there can be a bit of resistance to all that learnt self that says, I must be this, I must be in control, I must understand life. I'm, you know, that sort of can be resistant for some people. But once that's out of the way, there's a beautiful flow to it. So I guess what you're saying is that, you know, whilst we can't learn this or apply it like we would any other type of training or, or knowledge, um, what's wonderful about this understanding and when we start to explore in this direction is that actually it's not only very simple, but it's, it's available to anyone and everyone. You know, we all have the capacity to know this, to see it, to live it, to experience it and to be in flow and to have all of those wonderful qualities that are really quite innate for us as human beings and, and sort of within our human system, um, to, to have all of that in abundance. Yeah, and, and it is universal, isn't it? And, and, and strangely, sometimes we find, don't we, that it's inversely in, 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 in proportion to your learned intellect. So the people who are super intellectually developed and academically trained sometimes find it harder to see the simplicity and the non-conceptual mind nature of this, um, which, which can then annoy them, which makes it even worse um, <laughs> because yeah. they want to get everything. So there's, there's a way of digesting and percolating and hearing what we're saying that requires a different kind of listening and being uh, than other more application-based or knowledge-based approaches. Um, now, that might sound trite, but, it, but it's hugely powerful when people spot that. Yeah, and I think part of the challenge sometimes for people that are really chaptered, chaptered and versed in, in, you know, really using their intellectual conceptual mind is, is obviously letting go of that and trying a different way of, of learning. Yeah, and I've definitely got the T-shirt for that. So um, I was a very, uh, it took me quite a while to get through my uh, conceptual mind to this. <laughs> but anyway, so sort of takeaway for this, because we should probably try and keep this relatively not too lengthy. Um, the takeaway for this, I suppose, is to say to people, okay, we've just assumed and been conditioned that certain things are fixed, real and true. What we're saying is, Press pause on that and explore yourself. And what you might start to see that a lot less things 
are true, fixed, out there and causal than we thought. They're still going to be real. They're still going to turn up for us. It's still going to be, you know, sentient and palpable and all those things, right? So, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not denying them and we're still going to have those ups and downs of those feelings that come like that. But the more that you can start to pull the rug under your own feet as to what you think the foundation is, the more you'll then probably see that your aperture to that wonderful resourcefulness that we point to um, comes in and you'll start to see your personal truths and belief systems dissolve. So it's, I guess that's something we'd like people to get curious about. And then if they get curious about that, you know, contact us and let's have a proper chat about it. Um, so Rena, what else would you add to this? And I, in my own experience and, you know, with all the clients that we work with, what I see is that, you know, this, um, you know, this exploration and this understanding can go from feeling like I have no idea what you're talking about to then really making loads of sense and having a huge impact on, you know, every area of life and work quite quickly. Um, and so what I would sort of point people towards is, you know, if there's a part of you that's going, I, yeah, this, you know, I'm battling with this, it doesn't really make sense. But there's kind of a, even just a tiny spark of there's something in that. Um, you know, get in contact with us. We'd love to have a chat with you. Listen to the recording again um, and, you know, explore the materials that we'll put in the, um, in, in the show notes. So, um, Rena, thank you so much for uh, coming in and doing this because it's not the easiest thing to try and encapsulate uh, in, a, in a short um, space, uh, particularly when you can't have a dialogue with people. So, um, anyway, let us know. We'd love listeners to give some feedback. Um, we just put it out there to be just sort of in case people are interested to know what's at the very nub and core of the understanding behind quality of mind. So, uh, Rena, thank you very much. Thank you. And listeners, uh, have fun being curious and, um, catch you next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please reach out and leave us a review and a comment. If you want more info, check out makingchangework.co.uk or Piers Thurston on LinkedIn.